Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had an awesome weekend. If you are watching this on YouTube, again, I am in a different spot. It looks a little bit fancier, doesn't it, than usual? You can tell me how you guys like it. If you're not watching on YouTube, you should definitely subscribe. The podcast comes out on YouTube in the afternoon, whereas you can listen to it in the morning, but you can watch it in the afternoon. Subscribe on YouTube. It's Ali Beth Stucky. If you haven't done that already, I would highly appreciate it. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about the Iowa caucus, which happens today, February 3rd. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, since I'm trying this new format of doing like, okay, current events, everything that's going on or something that's going on, and then weaving in uh, a biblical topic within that or uh, doing it all in the same episode rather than doing like Theology Mondays, News Wednesdays. Uh, I'm going to do a most misused. So if you're new to the podcast, we started a series that has kind of been broken up called most misused. We did Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart a few weeks ago. And then we also did Matthew 7, one, judge not lest you be judged. And so we took what is commonly said about those, uh, about those verses and then what they actually mean according to God's word. And we're going to do that today with Philippians 4.13. And then uh, I am going to answer a couple of your questions. And I have a couple other topics that I might want to touch on uh, if we have time. But as you guys know, I typically end up talking a lot more than I anticipated and we run out of time. Uh, okay. First, I want to tell you guys before we get into the Iowa caucus uh, and everything that's going on there, I want to tell you guys about a new company that I'm now advertising for, and I'm so excited about it, and it's called Laurel Spring. So we've talked a lot on this podcast about uh, public school and the dangers of some public school systems. Now, a lot of you are public school teachers, and uh, your public school happens to do a good job, or you may send your kids to public school, and you're totally comfortable with that. Uh, but we have talked about that there are some dangers of uh, sending your kids kids to a school can be some danger sending your kid to a school that is run by the government and is going to be infiltrated with values that probably at the very least don't align with your biblical worldview if they don't completely contradict your biblical worldview. So I want to tell you guys about an option uh, other than public school and even even other than your traditional private school or homeschool, and it is called Laurel Springs. Uh, so as parents, we want to encourage our children to pursue their dreams, to uh, provide opportunities that give them the best chance to succeed. And sometimes that means uh, optimizing their routine, making it more flexible, more dynamic, so they have more time to focus on the things they love and so that they can have more time to be instilled in the values that you want to instill them with. And that is why there is uh, Laurel Spring. So it's an accredited online private school for students in kindergarten uh, through 12th grade. So K through 12, Laurel Springs recognizes that each child is a unique individual with their own personal interests, special talents, unique learning style. Their flexible learning program offers challenging and diverse elective courses. Uh, Laurel Springs is accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges and Advanced Ed, uh, which means their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. So if that was something you'd be worried about, you don't have to be concerned with that. So if you just want to check that out, like if you're looking for a flexible schedule for your child, you want to keep them at home so you can be the one that is helping to shape their worldview rather than at a school, really public or private, at a school that you just don't agree with how they teach your kids, uh, this could be a really good flexible option for you. Uh, register your child at laurelsprings.com slash Allie. 
that's A-L-L-I-E, uh, you will receive a waived registration fee if you do that. That is laurelsprings.com slash Allie for your waived registration fee. That is laurelsprings.com slash Allie. So go check it out. You really don't have anything to lose just learning a little bit more about it. Uh, okay, so today we're going to talk about the Iowa caucus. This is the first contest of the primaries. If you didn't know that the presidential primaries were happening, then I haven't been doing my job very well, or you just haven't been listening to the podcast, or you might be living under a rock. If so, welcome Earthside, welcome. There's a lot that's happening. You're probably going to be highly disappointed, but that's okay. We are going to, on this podcast, walk you through the things you need to know and try to leave you with a feeling of encouragement and understanding. And even with the craziness of the Democratic presidential primaries, that's what we're going to try to do. So the person who wins the Iowa caucus typically picks up a lot of momentum. Uh, all the polling points to Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, self-avowed socialist, you guys. So so he will correct someone and say that he's a democratic socialist, but that doesn't make it any better. That's just socialism that you choose, which maybe is better. I mean, yes, better than tyrannical socialism, but socialism is tyrannical by nature. I actually did uh, an entire podcast episode this summer titled Socialism. So if you're just trying to understand really what socialism is, you can go back and listen to that episode titled Socialism. I don't know the actual number, but you can kind of give a background or get a background on what that is. He is a self avowed full blown socialist. He has been for a long time. And I don't know, like, if he wins not just the Iowa caucus, but if he really does win that and then picks up the momentum and becomes the Democratic nominee, which is very likely, by the way, Joe Biden is entrenched in all of this drama and he just hasn't performed very well. Elizabeth Warren doesn't seem to be uh, bringing the heat the way that I think we probably thought that she would. And then we've got Pete Buttigieg that's kind of trailing that's uh you know, I, I don't really think ultimately he's going to do anything, although I think that he has given a few good performances at the debates and he is very well spoken. And even though uh, he is diametrically opposed to literally everything I believe, I do see how someone finds Pete Buttigieg likable and finds him compelling and even sees him as a moderate, even though he's not a moderate as all, at all. He's pretty good at presenting himself that way. And he's realized that that is the path that he has to carve out to distinguish himself from people like like Elizabeth Warren and like Bernie Sanders, but I don't think ultimately it's going to work for him. Not this go round. Now he's probably going to run again. He is very young, but for the presidential primary that is happening right now, I think that it is probably going to be Bernie Sanders, which is just a little bit terrifying. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. Uh, so we're talking about the guy that honeymooned Honeymoon in Soviet Russia. He loved Hugo Chavez, huge fan of Hugo Chavez. He praised Venezuela just a few years ago before it absolutely fell. He praised it as a model for the rest of the world. Venezuela is socialist. Now, socialists in America will tell you, you know, it's not socialist. No country that has claimed socialism that has failed is socialist to socialists. Uh, they will say, no, 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 that socialism wasn't the problem. It was some other random factor that made it not work. All of these failures that you see associated to socialism has nothing to do with socialism at all. And yet Bernie Sanders praised Venezuela just a few years ago, saying that it was the model for the rest of the world that we should all be following. Uh, he complimented breadlines at one time. You can look this up, say, you know, breadlines are a good thing. At least people are getting some kind of sustenance. Uh, that's what he would like. He worships Karl Marx. He is 
a Marxist. He thinks Marx was a wonderful, compassionate guy and nothing could be further from the truth. You can look at the Communist Manifesto and figure that out. Um, we are talking about the guy who wants to, as of today, abolish ICE, take away your health insurance, force you into Medicare for all. Uh, he wants to repeal the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment says that your tax dollars cannot directly fund abortion, although we know that funds are fungible. And so our tax money that is going uh, to that is going to Planned Parenthood right now, that is indirectly funding abortion anyway. But the Hyde Amendment says that you have to or that the funds can't go directly. Taxpayer funds can't go directly to the Hyde Amendment. Well, he believes that we should repeal the Hyde Amendment. So we should be directly funding abortion. Abortion should be free. He has tweeted before that abortion is health care. Well, guess what? He says health care is a human right, and he believes because it's a human right that health care should be paid for by the taxpayer. He calls that free. Of course, we know that nothing is free. And so by deductive reasoning, he said it explicitly, but by deductive reasoning, and if he thinks that abortion is health care, that health care is a human right, and that human rights should be paid for by the taxpayer, then he obviously believes that abortion should be paid for by the taxpayer. We have talked about a million times on this podcast what abortion is, how grotesque it is, that it is killing a human life painfully, brutally, even if it wasn't painful, it would still be morally wrong. And he believes that that's not only okay, that a woman should be able to choose to do that through all nine months of her pregnancy. So we're talking about a living, moving, kicking, feeling baby. He believes that a woman should have a right to terminate that child, to violently kill that child inside the womb for any reason whatsoever. And not only that, Bernie Sanders believes that you should pay for it. This is the guy. And by the way, this is all the Democratic nominees. You're not going to find a Democratic nominee that is going to, besides Tulsi Gabbard, uh, that is going to temper their views on abortion at all. They're just going to say it's the woman's choice. It's the woman's choice. What they are doing is endorsing the brutal murder of babies inside the womb and endorsing the view that you should have to pay for it no matter how morally opposed. Now, no matter how religiously opposed you are, you should have to pay for it. So it's not just Bernie Sanders. Although I do think he's going to be the nominee, and so we should be cognizant of that and fearful of that. But it's all the Democratic nominees, by the way. And they wonder, they wonder, why do evangelical Christians support Republicans? Why do evangelical Christians uh, support uh, Donald Trump? Well, because we believe that life starts at conception. And so any uh, killing, any murder of an innocent human being beyond that, yeah, I think that we're going to be against, especially for a defenseless baby inside the womb. It's funny how Democrats can't look in the mirror and they can't say, wow, you know what? We've really gotten more extreme. We've really changed our views because they have. It used to be 20 years ago, safe, legal, and rare. 10 years ago, they were talking about illegal immigration. Just a few years ago, they were talking about or they had a, a little bit of a different view on guns. They weren't talking about gun confiscation the way Beto O'Rourke and some other candidates have have now. Uh, so they have become more and more radical, and yet they look at conservatives who have stayed the same on pretty much every issue, and they say, you've changed. You've changed. You've become more radical. Actually, no. No, we haven't. We have stayed the same. We've always believed that life starts at conception. Like we've, and I guess maybe with science and how technology has developed and we can see it's such a uh, an early point in gestation, how lifelike and not lifelike, what a life and what a human it is. Yes, maybe our views on that have gotten stronger, but we haven't changed our views on abortion. We haven't changed our views on guns. We haven't changed our views on immigration. Conservatives have been 
been pretty solid for a long time, except for maybe getting a little bit more moderate in parts of the Republican Party. But the left has moved so far left. Case in point, Bernie Sanders a self-proclaimed socialist, which really his views aren't that different from full-blown communism. I can't see a whole lot of distinctions. I, I would love for someone to be able to explain the difference to me between what Bernie Sanders believes and what a typical communist believes. Uh, case in point, Bernie Sanders, that guy, is probably going to be the Democratic nominee. And even if he's not the Democratic nominee, like he is... Uh, almost leading the field right now. He's at least leading the field uh, in Iowa. And so for Democrats to not be able to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, guys, we have gone so far to the left. No wonder most of the country or half the country at least isn't on board with us. No wonder there's such fierce resistance to us. No wonder we can't attract any evangelicals. No wonder at least eight in 10 white evangelicals or self-identified white evangelicals are supporting Donald Trump, someone whose morals, for the most part, we don't agree with because the left gives us absolutely no option whatsoever. They've become so radical economically, morally, everything. They've become so radical that there is no chance in heck that someone who identifies as any part conservative or who uh, is an evangelical Christian, someone who reads and believes in their Bible, can look at someone like Bernie Sanders and get on board with that. Like there's no self-awareness. There's no self-reflection. Instead, they continue to look at this side of the country, the right side of the country, and say, oh, you guys are backwards. You guys are so far behind. You guys are on the wrong side of history. Really, we're on the wrong side of history because like our definition of, for example, gender has been the definition of gender for all of human existence. And just like 30 seconds ago, you guys decided via a tenured professor that gender doesn't actually matter, that it doesn't correspond with sex, that it has nothing to do with sex whatsoever. And all of a sudden we're on the wrong side of history. Like you guys redefined marriage just a few years ago. The definition that a lot of conservatives, not all conservatives now, but a lot of conservatives or especially Christians have of marriage between a man and a woman has been the definition of marriage for millennia. But now all of a sudden, because the left has changed so drastically in the past, even just five to 10 years, and they're on a crazy train that is going a million miles a minute and they have no idea where it's headed. They have no destination whatsoever. They look at the people standing on the sidelines watching the crazy train go by. So that's you and me and say, you're on the wrong side of history. You better jump on this crazy train, even though it's about to go off a cliff. Um, that's the absolute hypocrisy of it. That is the craziness of it. And the fact that Bernie Sanders is possibly going to be the nominee uh, shows all of that, it shows just how crazy and just how far left uh, the Democratic Party has gone. Remember, leftism doesn't govern. Leftism is good for activism. Leftism is good for making people angry. Leftism is good for riling people up. Leftism is good uh, at making people passionate, insane. There needs to be some kind of change. Leftism is not good for governing. Leftism is not effective for governing. When we look at leftist governments, there's a reason why they have failed. There's a reason why communism and socialism have failed and not just failed, not just like, oh, that was a good old college try. Now we're going to move on to capitalism but has uh, resulted in the suffering and death of tens of millions of people over the last century is because leftism doesn't work as a governing principle. 
It just doesn't work. It creates tribalism. It creates identity politics. And it creates ultimately uh, human suffering. Rights are taken away. Liberties are trampled on uh, in a fight for what they deem to be equality. And it's really not. It's what Thomas Sowell calls cosmic justice. We've talked a lot about that and I won't even get into all of that right now. Uh, but it is fueled by the craziness of intersectionality and it just, well, at least in America, not all communism and socialism has been fueled by that kind of stuff, obviously, but how it is right now in 2020, that is what it is. There is all kinds of strife, uh, between the different classes, between the different generations, between the different, uh, between the different races, between genders, and all of that is because of this Marxist ideology that is being peddled by people like Bernie Sanders. But uh, the people who support Bernie Sanders are okay with the fact that leftism isn't necessarily a good governing principle or that it's not a governing principle. He and here's how we can see that through Bernie Sanders. When someone asks him, for example, how are you going to pay for Medicare for all? Uh, how are you going to pay for single payer health care? Like, how is this going to work? He says, I don't know. No one knows. No one knows how much it's going to cost. I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. And people who support Bernie Sanders just don't care. Why? Because, again, leftism is good for making people angry. Leftism is good for saying, yeah, we need change. Stick it to the man. We should eat the rich. Billionaires are the problem. It's really good at pointing out perceived problems. What it actually is doing is just building resentment towards people that you feel are more privileged than you. It's really good at pitting people against each other. It's really good at fostering tribalism. It's really good at creating class warfare and things like that. It's not actually good at solving problems. So it can point out problems. It can get people angry about problems. But leftism, uh, just as an ideology, doesn't function as a a governing ideology. It just it just doesn't. And that's why people who support it, who are leftists, are okay with Bernie Sanders not actually having a plan. Just being able to yell at the sky like he's done for the past 100 years that he's been in the Senate, to yell at the sky and just say, this is a problem. These people are the reason why you haven't been able to get ahead. These people are the reason why you're not privileged. These people are the reason why you keep failing. That makes people feel good who do feel like they have been trampled on, who do feel like they've been taken advantage of. Those are real feelings. And some people actually have. People who feel like they have been oppressed, and some people actually have been oppressed. Some people feel like they've been oppressed who haven't been oppressed. But those who feel like they've gotten a bad hand in life, for someone to identify, like Bernie Sanders, to identify uh, you know, this boogeyman, the rich, the billionaire, the corporatist that has uh, stepped on your back, that makes you feel good. And you feel like someone like Bernie Sanders is going to fight for you. Well, let me break it to you. Bernie Sanders has never fully, he's never actually accomplished anything in his life except for becoming a millionaire while being a so-called public servant. And if you go back to some old videos that he has said that he's fighting for the working person, he will say that millionaires are the reason for all of your problems. Well, now guess what? Bernie Sanders himself is a millionaire. So now what is it? It's billionaires are the problem. But what has he actually ever done to fight for the people that he's saying that he's fighting for besides get rich himself? Uh, what has he actually accomplished? Yes, Joe Rogan, for example, said that he was going to, uh, he was probably going to vote for Bernie because Bernie has been consistent. Well, consistency in itself is not a virtue. 
consistency, consistency alone is not a virtue. You can be consistently dumb. You can be consistently deranged. You can be consistently wrong. And consistently wrong is what Bernie Sanders has been the entirety of his career. So him being consistent, consistently wrong about the virtues of socialism isn't something that we should applaud. Isn't something that we should say, yeah, I'm going to vote for him because he's been consistent. Yeah, he's been consistent in a bad way. That is not virtuous. That's not something that's honorable. That's certainly not a reason uh, to vote for someone. So this is the person that, in my opinion, is probably going to win the nomination. It's probably going to be the nominee. It's going to be a really interesting ride, Bernie Sanders uh, versus Donald Trump. Like, they really are the counterparts for each other. Like, you see why. You see why they're against one another. They are both um, anti-establishment, or at least they purport to be anti-establishment. They, both of them are populist in a way, or their rhetoric is populist. Like they claim to be fighting for the regular guy, for the working man. They claim to want to put power in the hands of the people. Like they claim to be the people on their own respective sides who see the workers and see the common folk that everyone else, that the elites are ignoring. They both claim to be that, which is, also funny in this day and age that uh, in a time where the left, the woke are emphasizing diversity and emphasizing uh, identity politics, like we've got two very rich white guys, probably, whether it's Biden or whether it is uh, Bernie Sanders, we're still going to have two rich white guys, which I don't care about, but we're told we have to care about competing and telling everyone, oh, no, I get your problems. And I do believe that you can be empathetic no matter what uh, your gender is and no matter what your skin color is. But the left, the woke left tells us, no, 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 you can't. And yet here we are with a completely undiverse, according to the leftist standards, field uh, on the Democratic side and obviously, according to them, on the Republican side as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting showdown. Ultimately, are Americans ready for socialism? I don't think so. You've even got people on MSNBC saying that Bernie Sanders is going to be dangerous for the country. But if he is the nominee, they'll they'll rally behind him. What's going to happen is that in the same way that Trump is surrounded by an administration who has really the people around Trump are the people who have been pushing the policies that conservatives like. And I think the same will be true for Bernie Sanders, uh, that he's going to be surrounded by people that are going to direct him uh, in whatever direction probably the establishment Democrats want him to go in. So it'll all be very interesting, but it's happening. It's starting. Iowa caucus today. Uh, There's going to be so much to talk about. Again, I've said this so many times, but I can't believe I can't believe that it's already here. Like I remember so distinctly 2015, 2016 and watching all of those debates. And I remember my husband waking me up at like 3 a.m. on election night saying Trump won and me not being able to believe it. And every day since then, Democrats have said they're going to impeach him. And here we are. And of course, that's the reason why people aren't really paying attention. Okay, now we're going to shift into uh, part of what we would typically do on theology Monday. Well, actually, let me say something that'll help us transition, uh, help us transition. So I read this article that is that was from AP News. The Democrats are trying to court the evangelical vote. And we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the episode. Uh, but uh, they are trying to court the evangelical vote. We've heard Pete Buttigieg say a lot, you know, I don't understand how you can be a Christian and be a Republican or at least vote for Donald Trump. 
And so there are some Christians, I think, just to be honest, that would vote for someone like Joe Biden, maybe progressive Christians, uh, self-proclaimed progressive Christians would probably vote for uh, Pete Buttigieg. I would guess. But again, this abortion issue and I think socialism in general is such a turnoff for most evangelicals. Like we already established, most evangelicals vote for Donald Trump. Most white evangelicals specifically are voting for Donald Trump. But I just don't think with the current Democratic platform that that is going to change. So this AP News analysis, while I think it's interesting and while I appreciated listening or reading it, I don't think is uh, I, I don't think it's going to go in that direction. I think that we are pretty much unconvincible as of now. There's, I mean, I just don't see how we can read and believe our Bibles and turn to the left and say, yeah, I can, I can vote for that platform. Now, you would probably be able to convince an evangelical Christian not to vote for Donald Trump, and I can listen to those arguments. I'm sympathetic to those arguments. Someone who says they're not going to vote for either candidate or they're not going to vote. Do I think you should exercise your right to vote? Absolutely. Uh, but you might be able to convince an evangelical Christian not to vote for Trump, but to vote for a Democrat, someone who reads and believes in their Bible as the inerrant word of God, that's going to be very difficult, very difficult to get them on board with that. So... Now, speaking of Christians, uh, maybe that was a little bit of a smooth transition. Not really. We're going to talk about Philippians uh, 4.13 and how this is misused and what it actually means. And um, I don't know if I'm going to actually have time to get into questions today. But if I have one to take from Instagram, then I will try to do that. But before we get into all of that, I want to tell you guys about one of my favorite companies ever, and that is Bolster Sleep. So my husband and I love Bolster Sleep. We've got a bolster. We've got two Bolster Sleep pillows. I started out with my Bolster Sleep pillow, and he was like, hey, I want one of those. You're sleeping so well nowadays. So we got him a Bolster Sleep pillow. We have a Bolster Sleep mattress. It's just so comfortable. I have gotten to the point where I have a very hard time sleeping without my bolster sleep pillow just because it really is perfect. It's the perfect firmness. It's the perfect softness. It's such a great balance. It helps with your neck and your spinal alignment. And also it has this uh, material called Tincel, this technology that keeps the pillow cool all night, which is awesome. So you don't have to flip it over to get the cool side of the pillow. It's cool side of the pillow all the time. So I love bolster sleep. If you guys, like if you find yourself, you moms, like if you're exhausted every day and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can keep up with my toddlers, with my baby. I don't think I can do this. Or if you're still waking up in the middle of the night with a newborn and you just want to be able to go to sleep quickly and sleep well during those times that you're able to sleep, then I highly recommend you at least check out bolster sleep. Just go online, see some of their products, try out their pillows. You've really got nothing to lose. All the thing, all you're going to do is to gain something, and that is better sleep. So go to bolstersleep.com. It's promo code Allie, A-L-L-I-E. That's bolstersleep.com, and you get a 15% discount if you use my promo code Allie. That's a really good discount off your entire purchase. So bolstersleep.com, promo code Allie. Okay. Let us get into this most misused because you guys, I really liked this segment and I saw a couple comments on YouTube saying, hey, like I really liked Theology Mondays and I don't want you to stop doing Theology Mondays. And like I said, if I get enough of that feedback, we can go back. But my goal is someone surmised that the reason why I'm doing that is because I'm being tempted to not speak unpopular biblical truth. And that is totally not the reason at all. My goal is to offer as much value to you guys as possible. So 
that every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like you feel like you are abreast on the things that are happening, but also that you're getting a biblical encouragement and that you are uh, getting to that your worldview is being shaped by a Christian perspective, not just on the news, uh, in politics, but also on cultural lies that we are hearing, whether it's about a specific Bible verse or about self-love or something like that. So my goal is not to take away any value. It's to add value to your life. But as always, I'm sensitive to you guys' comments. I always try to do what is in your best interest and what you guys like. So uh, continue to send me that that feedback. And one of you guys I also saw on YouTube asked where you can send questions. You can, uh, sometimes I read my YouTube comments, but not that often. You can ask a question there or you can send it to me via Instagram. Uh, you can also email me as well. That is a good way to do it. Okay, Philippians 4.13. Most of you who are raised in the church know this verse. If you don't, don't worry about it. And if you weren't raised in the church, no worries if you don't know what this is. But if you were raised, especially in the evangelical church, if you went to a Christian school, if you played on like a Christian soccer team, you know Philippians 4.13. And that is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another, another version, I use ESV, but another version might say, I can do all things through uh, him who gives me strength. So this is a verse typically used uh, by athletes, I would say. That's the content before a game. It is uh, used maybe to say, like, I'm going to make this amount of money. I'm going to achieve this goal. I'm going to get the job that I want to get. I'm going to win the competition that I want to win. Uh, I'm going to lift this weight that I want to lift. Uh, it has become the biblical way of saying whatever I put my mind to, I can do. And this is not new. This verse has been used like this for, I mean, my entire life, I remember as a child, uh, you know, using this in a context of sports or something like that. But let's look at the actual context uh, context of this verse. So Paul is speaking in this uh, passage, or not just in this passage, but in this book of the Bible to the church at Philippi, thanking them in this chapter for being concerned for him, sending him gifts to help meet his needs. And so he says in 4.11 through 13, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I love that. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Isn't that what everyone is looking for? By the way, in all of these uh, self-help uh, books or in a lot of them, like how do we be content? How do we be at peace? How can we be okay through trials? And Paul says, I have learned the secrets and being content in all of these situations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what Paul is speaking of here is the ability to be sustained by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit through adversity. He is speaking of contentment. He is seeing, He is saying that whatever befalls me, whatever I go through, whatever circumstance I find myself in, whether I have everything or nothing, I can endure. I am going to be ultimately okay because Christ is my sustenance. Yes, uh, so God may give us the talent to play soccer well. He might give us the ability and uh, the physical capability to lift a weight or to finish a marathon. But this verse is not about, Philippians 4.13 is not about God promising that he will uh, help you meet your definitions of success. 
That is not what Philippians 4.13 is about. The interpretation of this verse that uh, that takes it to mean that Jesus will carry us onto whatever task we set our mind to views him not as God, but as a genie. So let me repeat that. The interpretation, the traditional interpretation of this verse that takes it to mean that Jesus will carry you on to whatever task you set your mind to uh, views him not as God, but as a genie. This is the same kind of point that we were making when we talked about Psalm 37, 4. Uh, remember the question that we always ask ourselves that we talk about on this podcast a lot. Remember the question we always ask ourselves when we are looking at the Bible. Does my interpretation of this verse or passage glorify me or does it glorify God? Does it make me the heroine or does it make God the hero? Am I placing myself at the center of this narrative or am I placing Jesus at the center of this narrative who belongs, by the way, at the center of the biblical narrative always and unconditionally? Uh, If your interpretation, if your theology, if any of our theology is focused on us, uh, God doing things for us, uh, God being our wingman, God being our genie, then there is a serious shift in our thinking that we have to do that is required of us. Um, it is easy to take this verse to mean that God is our fuel and that we're at the steering wheel. So we're driving the car. God is the fuel. We get to decide which way we're gonna, which way we're gonna go. We get to to decide uh, our direction. But that is not the reality of our relationship uh, with God. If we are submitting to Him as the Lord of our lives, the reality is uh, for Christians, God is driving the car. Like he is the map, he is the fuel, he is the car, he is all of it. Uh, He is the one that is deciding where we go, how fast we go. He is the one that is in control of our lives. Uh, So the point of this verse, Philippians 4.13, is not that God is going to help us score that goal or get that promotion or whatever it is we set our minds to. Not that these are always bad goals, by the way, but that's not what this verse is about. Uh, The point is much better and much bigger than that. So when we shift ourselves out of the center of this, when we stop making God genie and start recognizing him as God and we place him where he belongs, or we recognize where he actually is in the center of the biblical narrative, the reality of this verse is that it means that Christ is so faithful, that Christ is so sufficient, that he is so near to us. He is so enough for us that no matter what we have or don't have, no matter what we go through in this life, we can get through it. And not only that, but we can be content through it. Like not just we're miserable through it, not just we're complaining through it, but we can be content through it. Uh, We can go on, we can move forward, and we can even have joy in that. Uh, So that is what this verse means. And as always, it is so much better than our very trivial and than our very self-centered interpretations of this. I mean, an amazing thing happens when we Go to scripture to look for the glory of God. When we go to scripture to see how God glorifies himself, when we go to scripture and we say, what can we learn about God? That doesn't mean that there's no practical application for us. That doesn't mean that we don't see ourselves at all in the biblical narrative. That doesn't mean that we uh, aren't looking to God to say, uh, okay, what are you commanding of me or doing for me in this particular passage or in this particular verse? Uh, because obviously we have a lot to do with the Bible and it uh, has a very serious implication for our lives. But when we go to the Bible to seek God rather to seek ourselves, uh, we will find truth. And when we place ourselves in the center of the narrative, it is very hard to find actual biblical sanctifying truth. Okay, 
That is all I have time for today. I'm sorry that I don't have time for more questions. Sometimes it's just really hard to fit it in. And I want to make sure that this, the length of this podcast is, is something that is working for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back here on Wednesday. 